We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's transition into the coaching staff, Ryan, because we spent a lot of time on on the on that stuff, and I and I think it was a good conversation to have. Let's talk about the coaching staff because this is another area that's a bit of a question mark for me moving forward. And and we'll kind of do the coordinator last, like we did this time, and and we'll, let's start up front. And when I look at it, Ryan, I see the defensive line, and I see a situation where we saw this group take a step back. I thought Isaiah Foskey regressed, not incredibly so, but but just regressed. I mean, he still had 14 tackles for loss, 11 sacks, but it just he he wasn't the same impact player. There were some gimme sacks in there, sure. but there were times when we saw flat. I mean, USC had some big. I mean, he played his butt off in USC. I mean, he played so hard against USC. He had some. I thought he struggled early against Cal, and then came back with a big sack late in that game to help him put the game away. Had a big fourth down sack in that game, if you remember that one where he. Is is just reached out and <laughs> just grabbed the guy, and brought him down. Just really heck of a play. Just wasn't as good and didn't progress the way that I thought he should have. I thought Jason Adamiola regressed a little bit. I thought Justin Adamiola regressed a little bit. I didn't think Riley Mills took the step that he should have taken, partly because of I don't think he was used correctly. And and there just were a lot of times to me where I just looked at this D line and I was like, what are they doing? Like what? I don't understand what they're trying to do with this group. I don't understand where they're using this group that way. And I think that's why Chris Smith was so effective this year when he played, because he did fit that system. But mm-hmm. that's like your fourth or fifth defensive tackle, and you're running a system that fits him and not the others. Right. And so when I look at it, Ryan, I think the biggest thing for me is the defensive the defensive line struggled a lot this year. I think it's easy to put all of that on the feet of Al Washington. I think it's an easy thing to do because he's the position coach. And to a degree, he does deserve some of that responsibility. But number one, I don't think the scheme was designed in a way that really allowed the defensive line to attack, number one. And number two, I don't think that there was the buy-in from a player standpoint that needed there needed to be with some of the veterans. I'll just leave it at that. And that's natural when you have situations where a, a they played for a successful coach 
a guy they liked, the guy that really cared about him, and you got a new guy coming in who doesn't have the same investment in players uh, from a time standpoint, doesn't do the things with them the way that the previous guy did. That's not worse or better or anything. It's just different. Now, I would like to see that be more, and I would love to see that be the standard for every defensive line coach is, okay, yeah, you got a coach great, but, man, I need I need these players of your house as much. You know, That's just what I, I want coaches that want to be that way. But if Al Washington is or isn't that way, it's not the point. The point is there's always going to be when you replace someone who had success, there's always going to be some, well, so-and-so did it this way. And that's just the reality of it. Well, a lot of those guys are gone now. Isaiah Foskey's gone. Jacob Lacey's gone. The Adamiolas are gone. Here's a guy that was a veteran who had no prior relationship with with Al Washington or Mike Elston, Chris Smith. And Chris Smith was much better this year than I thought he was going to be, to be honest with you, Ryan. And so you look at some of that and you say, by the end of the year, Jordan Patel has really taken off. That's a guy that didn't really play a lot for Mike Elston. He was a linebacker last year. So I think that that we need to be – we because he's doing a really poor job recruiting, and that's a – that's I, I fully believe that. He's doing a very poor job recruiting, in my opinion, and that needs to change big time. I don't think he did a great job recru- coaching this year. I don't even know if I'd say necessarily did a good job. I think that he didn't he didn't do a, a he didn't do a great job, but not all of that to me is on him necessarily. I think that there needs to be some schematic change that allow to allow this these players to play to their skill set more. You can't fault the position coach for that. That's a coordinator issue. Right. But I also think that we need to see him do a better job of of getting his players to play with a little bit more force. I thought one thing Elson was really good about was getting his players to play with force. And I don't think this D-line did that as much. And even within the scheme, there was a need for that, and we didn't see that. And that's an area, to me, where Al Washington has to really improve this offseason as a position coach. The recruiting, is we could do a whole show on that. We probably should soon. We probably will. That's that's something we've discussed. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that right now. That's got to get a lot better. But I think that for me, I need to see him kind of get this group to play with a little bit more just Girl, get after it and find a way to really push these guys. You do that and you and you work a little bit more on block destruction, which wasn't bad, but just not where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. I think this defensive line will be be okay if if used properly. But he can't he can't really be the one that fixes the use properly thing. That's on the that's on the coordinator. Just like I can't blame Harry Heastan if you, his offensive lineman can't run duo physically, but they're running duo all the time. That's not the case. I'm just using an example. You know, that's not on the position coach. That's on the coordinator. This is the example on defense. Is I, I, I That's on the coordinator to get that fixed, Ryan. But he has to do a better job. And you're not going to have some of the, some of those veterans are gone. He's going to now be in year two. He has to take charge of that room a little bit more, in my opinion, and invest a little bit more in the players, in my opinion, and then get them to play a little bit that way. Because what what some coaches just never understand, and I'll, I'll never get why they don't get this, when the, the when the when kids believe that you really truly care about them beyond just football players and you really have their back in life and and you make them part of your family they will run through a a wall for you they will do whatever they have to do for for you because mm-hmm. they care about you and because they think you care about them because they like every have you ever heard a story of an NFL player that came from nothing 
that didn't involve, but this one coach at this level believed in me and pushed me and got me to realize that I can be this all the time. Yeah. And that's what, that's what there's not, there was not enough of that in some of the, some of the new hires. And, and I think that that's something that coach Washington needs to adapt to and adjust, which is, it takes time. That's not how Elston was with the players early on. There was some beef with some, some of the guys that grew to love Elston didn't like him at first. It takes time for that relationship to evolve. So this isn't even necessarily a criticism about Washington, just a, now that you're in year two, this part needs to become more of a priority. Last year you were swimming, man. You were just got here. You got to hit the recruit recruiting. You've got to do all this. I get all that, but now you're in year two. You've kind of got an idea of who they are and what you're doing in the lay of the land. You've got nothing to do for the next two months, except recruit your butt off and, and work your butt off to build a relationship with these kids. You can't coach them right now. So build the relationship, have them over. Do all those kind of things and let them know, hey, man, you know what? I, I give a rip about you guys. Let's bond. Come meet my wife. Come meet my kids, right? Let's let's do this thing together. I think I think he'll find a great reward for that and how they how they go about their business in the spring and in the fall. And and then the next part is just now go do the things you need to do to get them to play better. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And I think that there is a lot of pressure on Al Washington, and you know, there should be at this point, right? I mean, we've talked about the recruiting woes, but I mean, also, Brian, he was in a decent situation going into last year in the sense that he had Isaiah Foskey, who was the all time leading sacker in Notre Dame history, and now. He had Jason Adam Malola coming back. He had Howard Cross coming back, who had played a decent amount of football for you. He had Riley Mills coming back, who's a very talented football player. He had some known commodities coming back. Now we're looking at a 2023 unit that, again, talents for sure, but there's less known commodities, right? Like Jordan Patelho maybe could be a breakout star. Joshua Burnham could maybe play at a high level. You look at, you know, Howard Cross can maybe take a next step. Maybe, you know, there's there's still talent there, but there's not easy answers 
this season as there was last season. There were known commodities. There were easy answers. This is going to be a big test for Al Washington this offseason as well because you're going to see how good of a coach are you, man. Well, you know, we have mixed results in year one. Now that you're building guys literally up from the start of maturation, how good do you make this unit? You know, is Jordan Batello a breakout star? Well, I would give Al Washington a lot of credit if he develops into that guy, right? Is Gabriel Rubio more of an every down nose this season compared to last season? I would give Al Washington credit for that. Does Riley Mills take the step from good football player, solid to good football player in 2021? to a 2022, excuse me, to a really good football player in 2023. There's opportunity in front of him for Al Washington. He can change the narrative very quickly because there are a lot of, lot of question marks in this group. Again, not question marks because of lack of talent, question marks because you haven't seen it. This is about actualizing talent into production. Can Al do that? I hope so because I do think that it's a talented group. I still have – High hopes for Riley Mills. I still have high hopes for a lot of guys that are in that room because they're talented. Joshua Burnham. There's a lot of lot of talent in that room. Year two under Al Washington, you need to make, see a lot of those guys take massive step forward because right now with what the recruiting is, guy needs to be a good coach, right? Like he needs to be a good coach to make up for the the shortcomings on the recruiting trail as they are. You need both in order for it to be a championship level team. But you need to really answer that call. And I think that they have the talent to do so. But, you know, is it a championship-level defensive line right now? No, it's not. Can it get there? Possibly. But there's a lot of questions that need to be answered, obviously. Let's do something a little different today, Ryan. Yeah. It, it, to show us. Yesterday, we kind of went position by position, coaching-wise. Then we talked about the position groups. Today, I kind of want to mix it up a little bit. And I want to maybe talk about the, them together. I think that might make a little bit more sense and it'll be a little bit more flow because I think in Al Washington's case, this kind of fits together because the thing about the Notre Dame defensive line is it's never been in 2018 and 2019 and 22. It's never been the kind of elite line from a pure talent standpoint that you see, you've seen in past years at Bama or Georgia last year, for example, where you've got a bunch of first round draft picks. I mean, in 2018, they had one first round draft pick and I would argue that he shouldn't have been a first round draft pick. And Jerry Tillery. I, th- and, I think, you know, I think, unfortunately, the Los Angeles Chargers would agree with you. On right. That. <laughs> he was probably more of a third round guy to me, yeah. you know. And now he had first round talent, but that, that that's, that's never been the issue for, for Jerry Tillery. The thing for me, Ryan, is when I look at it, it's just all it's, but it's been, it's been really good, but they played like an elite group mm-hmm. because you were really good everywhere. And when I look at this unit, I, I feel like this unit doesn't necessarily have the elite talent that other teams have. I don't know of anyone that I'd look at on the current defensive line that I view as a first round draft pick. I, right. I just don't. There are NFL talent there. I mean, how many times for all the the talk about Irish I, Riley Mills and he did this or that or the other thing, I think he played better than his production. I don't think he was used correctly all the time. But how many times have you been reached out to by – your sources in the NFL and the scouting world and the and management and all this other type agent world and all this about who's this 99 kid at Notre Dame. I, I had at least five or six agents this past season ask me who 99 is. And right. that's without even seeing him play. Right. Because you understand that he's an impressive young man yes. from a physical perspective. Like yes. he's long and athletic. Like that's, it's easy, you know? 
so the, the, there's talent there to work with. Yes. There's talent with Jordan Patejo, Josh Burnham, Howard Cross, uh, Gabriel Rubio, Aiden Kanaana, if he can get healthy, Jason o- Onye. There's all these different types of players. You've got the incoming fresh. you got Tyson Ford, Aiden Gobira. There's talent there. But the reason it's very important that Coach Washington really do a great job coaching is because this is the group that the town is really good. It's got top 10 to 15 type talent easily. But to get them to play like an elite group, they can't just rely on God-given ability. They have to be coached very well. And that's the thing that I felt about some of those past defensive lines is they were coached very well, as well as having pretty good talent. There, so so to me, that's something that makes it important because I do think the defensive line, like Mike Elston, gets a lot of credit as a recruiter, and some and and by some people, I think Mike Elston's recruiting at times was very good and at times was inconsistent, and there was too many years with him and in past years where they'd get one or two really good players, but they'd always come up short in numbers. And then they would miss on inside guys. It did a pretty good job for a while there on edge players, but came up short on inside guys. And and so I, I don't feel like the roster's where it needs to be completely on the defensive line. It's good enough that if you run it correctly and you scheme it correctly, and that's something too that you have to think about when you're when you're looking at Al Golden's defense. This isn't a defensive line that you can just turn loose in the same way that Georgia could with this 2021 defensive line. It should have been used better. It was better than it 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 pan, turned out to be. Than it turned out to be. It should have been better than it turned out to be. But it's not one where it's like like Jason Adamiol. I think is is a talented player, but he's not a guy that I ever viewed as like boy, this is a top twenty five NFL draft pick kind of guy. Sure. And so you know, Foskey was, but Myron Tungvaloa wasn't that way. Kurt Heinisch wasn't that way. Um, Nana's not that way. Howard Cross isn't that way. But it's a lot of really good players. And so you've it's it's why it's so imperative to to coach them up at a high level because you need to maximize the talent they have. If you can maximize the talent they have, then this group can be really good. It can be a championship caliber unit, in my view. There's no doubt in my mind. Because there's two ways to be elite. One is to have just a couple elite players that can just take games over. The other is to have a, a bunch of really good players that play the game the right way and are put in position to be successful. That's really more where Notre Dame needs to be. And so that's why it's imperative they have a defensive line coach that's a top-notch coach. Because the one thing I'll say about Mike Elston is, even though I think his recruiting was inconsistent, he he was good at finding some of the sleeper kids, right, which is fine. But he he, he didn't get a lot of the big names either, if we're going to be honest about it. Now, the difference is, is now you've got a head coach that will fight for those guys. You've got a recruiting coordinator who will fight for those guys. And so there's not the excuse that you had then. Sometimes, I mean, I knew, I knew Mike Elston. There was a lot of times where he would he would honestly get into situations, Ryan, where he's like, why, why recruit that kid? I can't get him if I don't have – if by myself. I can't get this kid out of the southeast or out of Texas by myself. My head coach isn't helping me, and he would never – he wouldn't say this, but you could just kind of read between the lines. The defensive coordinator is not really helping me. Okay, let me just go find some sleeper kid because I know I'm not getting this kid by myself. And that's true. That's 100% true. It needs to be a, a, a group effort. Well, that's why in, in Mike Elston's first short tenure at Notre Dame under Marcus Freeman as the defensive coordinator, they got Keon Keeley, they got Tyson Ford, they got Aiden Obira, they got Brendan Vernon. They were leading for Jason Moore because it wasn't a one-man show anymore. And so that's where he's got to do a better job 
as a recruiter, but as a coach, the reality is right now, they don't have that kind of talent. However, I do think the freshman and incoming freshman classes is going to give this team a huge boost in talent. The question for 2023, however, Ryan, is will it be ready early enough? And that I don't know. But as part of this discussion of the state of the program is looking into the future, and when I look at a defensive line that's going to have cats that like Josh Burnham, Aiden Gobira, Tyson Ford, Donovan Heinish, Bubakar Traore, Brennan Vernon, Armel Mookum, and Devin Houston, you're you're working towards something, right? Yeah. You, you, you've got a couple tweaks here and there, but you're working towards something. You've got length. You've got athleticism. You've got power. You've got size. You've got all the things that your older guys are kind of missing. Mm-hmm. And so the future's bright. The question is, is how quickly can those guys get ready, which once again adds to the need to have a top-notch position coach there. Right. And that's what Coach Washington has to prove himself to be. He's going to get another crack at that, as far as I know. So you've learned your players. You've learned Notre Dame. You know our golden system a little better now. Now it's time to take your coaching to the next level. And that's the, the reason why I'm saying, hey, as a coach, I'm willing to give him a year to prove himself. Let's see what you can do. Because as a coach, it's hard to walk into a place right away and do a great job. It even took Harry Heastan four games to get to that point. And he's a legend who's been coaching as long as Al Golden's Al Washington's been alive, yeah. right? So, and he was working with some dudes, right? I mean, he was working with there. There might not be a, a position group on the roster that has more talent than the offensive line had in 2022, in my opinion. It's debatable, but that's my opinion. No, it's fair. But and it took him four games to really get that group going. When you're learning new players, it takes some time to learn them and for them to learn you. Sure. And so now going into year two, there's a much better opportunity for Coach Washington to learn them. And there's going to be more guys playing that have as much time with him as they had with Elston. And that's going to be an important part, too. So it's a big year for Al Washington and the defensive line. It really is because you're going to be dependent on a decent amount of younger players and unproven products like you are. I mean, that was the fault with the 2023 group that we talked about. It's like people, you know. People act like the four-man class that Notre Dame signed in 2023 isn't like super talented. And I'm just like, uh, guys, no, it, it is. It is super talented. It's just not ready-made to come in day one and probably impact the game, right? I mean, if you get Bubakar Traore, Armel Mukum, and those dudes to their ceiling, then you got some guys, right? Like you got some dudes. But the big loss with Keon Keeley is the fact that you don't have a guy that day one can just be that guy. Right. You know it for a fact. You and don't Jason Moore. And Jason, Jason Moore's Moore. playing a ton of snaps this year for Notre Dame. If yes. Notre Dame. Yep. And you, you just don't know. I don't think he realized that, though. Like, yes. Ohio State did a great job of selling the depth chart in front of him and in the class that he, Notre Dame compared to Ohio State. Even though they still have JT and Jack Sawyer coming back. Right. And, I mean, but yeah. that's what they sold. That's what worked yeah. for him. That's the wow. message that worked for him, and Notre Dame didn't counter that. And that's the issue when you talk about from a recruiting standpoint, right? I say, well, this is a really good defensive line class. It is. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it is missing that ready-made player. The, the, the yep. reason that so, – so well, how can you criticize Al Washington if you're saying this is a really good D-line class? Because he wasn't responsible for half of that class. And right. the two guys he was responsible for, to be honest with you, were pretty easy. I mean, if we're being honest with you, and one of them, he wasn't even the lead recruiter for. Chad Bowden was. Chad Bowden was the primary recruiter I'm for Carl Wilkham. Yes, what I was. Yep. I don't even. I still to this day don't know if Armel Mukum's brought up Al Washington's name in an interview with us. Maybe once. 
He talks maybe about if, Coach Freeman and Chad, right? Maybe if I maybe if I led the conversation to how, how's the relationship with with uh, Al right, Washington, but you shouldn't have to do that, right? Exactly. You ask him you, if you ask him a general question about the staff, it's immediately goes to Coach Freeman and Chad. That's where it yes. goes to, no doubt. And and so and with Bubakar, it's like you flipped him from Boston College, bro. Like that that shouldn't be that hard. You already had a, a northeast De- kid that you flipped from Boston. Kinda College. got Devin Houston, but Notre Dame led for Devin Houston when he got here. You know, and and that was a, a kind of like I said. You, if you can't sell Notre Dame to Devin Houston, I, I don't know what the problem is here. Like, I don't know what we're doing here. And then, of course, Brendan Vernon was already committed to Notre Dame when he got hired. He mm-hmm. whiffs on Keon. He whiffs on on Jason Moore. You know, you, you you whiff on on Braden Fisk. I still am upset about that one. Yeah, that I mean that that should have been like hand ready made. So like the recruiting part's not been good. But yes. if you look at the defensive line and you forget how it was constructed and just look at the four players, it's a good group. Yes, it's a really talented group. And you some of them you may need to play early. But again, if you're going to need to f- – here's the thing, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Those guys are not walking the door, ready to dominate day one like Keon Keeley was. Like Brendan Vernon you saw down there, right? He, physically, he's outstanding. Yes. But he doesn't know how to play the game yet. And he'll admit ready. that to you. Yeah, yeah he, will. He'll, he will. He'll admit that to you. Yep. So that's why it's imperative. I go back to it, it's imperative that you coach them at a high level. Yes. Here's one thing that's going to be really good for the defensive line and Al Washington. You're going to have Harry Heastan's group punching you in the face every single day you're out there. It's going to, at some point in time, Ryan, it becomes, you know, fight or flight. <laughs> you know yes. what I mean? Like stink or swim, it, maybe. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's like, bro, figure it out. Figure it out because you're getting your butt kicked every day. We saw this in 2017. Notre Dame's defensive line in spring ball of 2017 and in the fall camp of 2017, I'm like, they're going to give up 300 rushing yards a game. <laughs> I, I'm serious. I felt because like they they were just, I mean, they would get blown four or five yards off the ball. There'd be these huge, I mean, J- Josh Adams in every practice ripped off a 50 plus yard touchdown in every game. You're like, this defense sucks. They're going to be terrible. And I remember having a conversation with the Notre Dame coaching staff and they're like, no, we're not that bad. They're just that good. <laughs> You know, but it's good for us to get our butts kicked like this because once they got out to Saturdays, guess what? In week two against Georgia, they weren't afraid of Georgia. Georgia had that one long jet sweep to to, uh, to DeAndre Swift. Remember that play? Yes. That's like they didn't run the ball that well in that game. They didn't run the ball that well at all. That that jet sweep that got outside the line where there was a bad run fit by our by uh, um, Asmar Bilal was all they did. It's all they could really get going in that game with any kind of consistency. You, you almost blamed Darmal Mukam on it. I did. I did. Asmar uh, Bilal. He's not even here uh, yet, man. It's like, it's dude, I was in the fifth grade um, <laughs> by Asmar Bilal. And that is kind of wild to think about, though. He was in middle school when that game got played. That's just Silly, how wild man. this whole thing is. Silly, yeah. But, you know, that, that, that why? Because they went against that group every day. So Georgia's D-line, offensive line was really good. I mean, you had Andrew Thomas. You had some really good players in that group. Uh, the left tackle was uh, – who was the kid that got drafted – by the Patriots in the first round. Isaiah Wynn. They had him on that line, I believe, as well. It was a really good offensive line. But Notre Dame was able to battle with it because why? Because they had been going against Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey and Alex Bars and Sam Mustafer and Tommy Kramer and Robert Hainsey every day in practice. That'll do it. And it'll get you ready. And that's something that's going to help this defensive line a ton. And it's going to expose you as a coach and force you – I don't care how good you are. It's going to expose you as a coach and force you to say, hey, I need to up my game. And and I've heard some things in the behind the scenes about Al Washington and his view of Harry Heastan that gives me some optimism that he knows what he's what 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 he he knows the resource that is there. 
Nice. I've been told he's gone to coach Eastan at times and said, "Hey, you know what can what 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 could we do that could give you some problems? What are some things that we're not doing a good job of?" That's awesome. I love hearing that because, like, if you're a receivers coach and you really want to get better, don't just talk to other receivers coaches. Talk to DB coaches. What gives you guys problems? You know, what, when you watch our film, what did what did you see from us that 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 you know made you concerned or not concerned or we didn't take advantage of? And, and that's a really great learning tool. And so ha- having heard that in the past about Al Washington is a positive thing. There was something about Harry Heaston on Twitter or something a week or so ago in the last week. And Al Washington replies like, go. Now, that guy tweets a lot. And, you know, and so I get that. Like, he tweets a lot. But, like, I've heard that 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 that, that he views things that way. So I think that's going to be a positive. I think that's going to make him say, hey, man, I got up my game because this guy is going to destroy me in, in spring practice. And I, with with the buzz around me right now, I can't afford that. I can't afford to go out and have my guys get embarrassed in, in spring practice, you know. And so I, I think that is one thing that gives me a little bit of, of confidence, or op, I say confidence, cautious optimism. Yeah, heading into the off season when it comes to whether or not Al Washington will do what it takes to improve that side of the ball on defense. Okay. I agree because I think that I mean. <laughs> Man, if you need if you need Joshua Burnham and some of the young freshmen to step up, right, and to really take that, that next day forward, it's nothing like getting your butt kicked by Joe Walt and Blake Fisher every day. Yes. Really start to start that baptism by fire, right? Like that's that's it. So I mean, it, you always hear the guys too, right? Like it's a little bit of a cliche, but they always say like iron sharpens iron, right? But it is true. It's a hundred percent true. I mean, if I'm playing against a offensive lineman like Blake Fisher and Joe Walt every day, like I need to understand that, like, hey, man. What I'm doing is not working. I need to add something to the arsenal, right? There needs to be something. There, there needs to be some more effort in setting set the edge. Like whatever it is, there needs to be nuance to figure out how to counteract how good that player is. So I, I do think that that's optimistic for Notre Dame to – I mean, honestly, I want the defense line to get their butts kicked a little bit in the spring. I do because I want to see them come out on the other side. How do you handle stronger. it? Stronger. Exactly. How do you handle it? How do you handle – because that is adversity, right? Like if I'm Joshua Burnham, and I'm just using him as an example, I'm not saying this happens to him, right? But if he's going in every single day and Blake Fisher's just blowing him off the ball and just moving him with ease and just pass sets, just isn't able to counteract that size and that length, then that that's what I want to see though early on because Blake's played a lot of football. Joshua sure. hasn't played a lot yeah, of If football. Josh Burnham's out there in March and April just kicking Blake Fisher's butt – I'm like, that's an all-American next I'm gonna year, I'm going to be excited, right? but I'm also yes. going to be like, is Blake okay? Exactly. You, you know what I mean? Because like, it just shouldn't happen, right? Exactly. Uh, to, yes, to your, to your point. But yeah, please continue. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that's basically it, man. Like, I want to see those struggles early, but I want to see improvement each and every day, right? Another cliche that everyone says now, 1% better every day. Absolutely true, though. It is absolutely true. I want to see a guy improve just a little bit each and every day. It's not about having one massive improvement and then you just go flatline, right? Like it, this needs to be exponential. This needs to be linear growth. Like you need to show a guy getting a little bit better each and every day, stack great days. And if you have that, then I think that they'll be able to be a good defensive line, to be a very good defensive line in 2023. Because I think you saw in 2022 when things were clicking, they were pretty good. But it was just the peaks and valleys were too high, man. There was just some games – like you think of Ohio State for one, right, where you know, the defensive line was just quiet, right? Like they just didn't make a ton of plays. You need your defensive line to take a step up and be a lot more playmakers this season coming up because they're going to need it. 
they're going to need it if they want to get to that to get to the mountaintop. Let's move on to some other position groups, Ryan. And and uh, I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on this next one because we've talked about it a lot, and that's cornerback. Yeah. <laughs> and this, without question, right now is the strength of the defense heading into 2023. You have, in my opinion, one of the best cornerback coaches in the in the business, and Mike Mickens, who has proven himself to be so. Uh, I think from the be- from the minute he got here, he's co- he's coaching up with Nick McLeod. He's got Tariq Bracy, who then has kind of a mental collapse, and he's to the point where he's got a, he has to start Clarence Lewis as a true freshman, right? And, and and that team did what? They went to the college football playoff, right? And he's doing it under man under just completely outmanned. Goes out there that year, can't go on the road. Gets a pretty solid pretty solid recruiting class, in my opinion, that I still think has a chance to help this team out. And the only reason that that recruiting class hasn't helped out more is because the one he got the next year was even better with Benjamin Morrison and 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 Jaden Mickey. And I know some people that believe that this incoming class might even be better than last year's class. Even people that agree with me that Benjamin Morrison's the best of the four-man group feel that way because they feel that Micah Bell and Christian Gray are that much better than Jaden Mickey. Now, I wonder if some of that's because you're evaluating Jaden Mickey off what you saw here at Notre Dame, which is unfair because those guys were still going against high school players. Right. But as prospects, that's 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 fair. It's a com- But the point is, it's a conversation. And one of the issues that Notre Dame had recruiting all positions, but corner being a big one was one year you'd have a really good corner class like you had in 2016 when you signed Julian Love and Troy Pride and Dante Vaughn. And then the next year you kind of go out and it's like you don't even sign a corner. They literally didn't sign a single corner in the 2017 class. They had a couple committed and you lost them. You had Thomas Graham and Elijah Banks. Was it was Elijah Banks, right? Oh, it was Elijah Hicks. Elijah the Hicks. kid that went to Cal. Cal, yeah. yeah. And you had them committed. You lost them because of the coaching turnover. You had Paulson Adebo committed. You lost him because of the coaching turnover. And you were going to lose him anyway. He As soon as Stanford offered, he was out. He was gone. It was a, not a – this is a well-known, a well-known thing. And so then it was just, it was always that, right? It was always just like, well, one year's good. And then the next year it's like, you get one good player, but you don't get anybody else. Like that vaunted 2013 class, they got Cole Luke. The other corners were Shad Kinlaw. And you're like, mm, that ain't it, right? Well, now Mickens is kind of three years in a row. Stacking. He's done it. And he's already got another a, a really high upside kid in the 2024 class already committed in Carson Hobbs. So recruiting at corner, good, real good. The coaching has something like we talked last year, right before the season. Like, I don't know why people are criticizing Mike Mickens as a position coach. Like, that was one of those things that was weird to me. Like, first of all, the cornerbacks weren't bad last year at all. They weren't. There was a lot of there's a lot of blown assignments and some things that had to get better. But I think a lot of it's because Mickens became Brian Kelly's sideline whipping boy. And you would just see it every game, Brian Kelly's in Mike Mickens' face. I don't know how he didn't punch him. Like, I probably would have. I just I could. Just the way that he would talk to him and stuff like that, it, it bothered me. I don't know why. It was weird. He coached Mickens. It, it was weird. He hired him. It was very strange. But I thought the corners, when you look at what they were working with, you had a, a, a receiver turned corner at one position. You had Clarence Lewis as a sophomore at another. You had Tariq Bracey coming back, who I thought was pretty good last year in 2021, to be honest with you. You had Ramon Henderson, who wasn't really a natural corner. You were trying to do all these things with God. You just didn't have great talent. Now you look at it and say, now he's got, you know, Cam Hart's evolved. He's now a year older. He finally gets guys that kind of he recruited in here, and you look at what they're doing. And so I think he's an outstanding position coach, and he's an outstanding recruiter. 
And when I look at this football team, I think this cornerback room is loaded and the future looks bright and the present is outstanding to where right now, I don't think there's a debate about what the best position group on this offense, on this defensive side of the ball is. It's, it's really not when you just forget the coaching part, just look at the talent it's corner. And then when you include the coaching, this is clearly the best position. And when, when we have said that in the past, where the coaching and the talent was best part of this, of this defense. I mean, like it's, I don't, Ryan, you know what it is because of how he started the season. I don't think a lot of fans appreciate how good Cam Hart was in the last six, seven games of the year. Yeah. It's because good, of how he started. And it's fair. It's it's fair to criticize how he started the season. And we can get into oh, his hamstring was hurt and all. Okay, but he still made mistakes and still got beat. Okay. It's, fu- it's fair. I'm not I'm not defending that. But you can't only focus on that and ignore the fact that kind of post Carolina on, that dude was outstanding. Agreed. Which is why nobody ever threw at him. I mean, he was really good. Yes. And, and he, I mean, was, was there was there about a big of recruit win this offseason than getting Cam Hart back as far as what yeah. 2023 is going to look like. I mean, honestly, man, you get him to come back who, I mean, folks, I'm, I'm here to tell you if Cam Hart doesn't have the injuries this year, he's in the, he's going in the NFL draft most yeah. likely, right? Like more than likely, but having him back, it's a blessing in disguise. The fact that there was a little bit of durability stuff in 2022, because now you have potentially one of the best cornerback duos in the country this year. I mean, top five cornerback duo, probably. I mean, I, I just yes. off the top of my head. I mean, you have Cam Hart, who's now battle-tested, two-year starter. You have Benjamin Morrison, who's a freshman All-American, six interceptions. And by the way, you have another great cornerback group, uh, Jaden Mickey, yes. who played a lot. And then you have Micah Bell, Christian Gray, who Christian Bell might not have the early impact that Benjamin Morrison has, but – Stylistically, he has some comparisons as far as body type. Did you say Christian Gray? Yeah, Christian Gray. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. from the length perspective, just kind of the why? Why is why might he not have the same impact of Benjamin Morrison? Because because it's not needed. Because there's Benjamin Morrison already there. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) If if Benjamin Morrison hadn't come to Notre Dame, to to Ryan's point, then Christian Gray maybe could come in and have a similar Benjamin Morrison type of impact next season. That's the point Ryan's making. But because there is Benjamin Morrison there. And had Cam Hart gone pro, I'd have been like, "Hey, field corners, you better uh, you better watch out because this cat from St. Louis is going to come in and try to take your job." Exactly. And yeah. Brian, not to mention the fact that you've had the luck you've now had the last couple of years. You have Clarence Lewis, who could be a Swiss Army knife now. Yes. Like it's it's just yes. who's a two year starter yes. for Notre Dame. It's like wild to the point where man. I'm begging them to move Clarence Lewis to safety, not because yeah. I think he's a terrible corner, because he's not a terrible corner, because he could be valuable. He, he, he'd be much more valuable there. He's a good yeah. backup now that if you use him correctly would be better than he's been in Notre Dame. That's the one guy I didn't think they used well last year at, at times. And so to me, I, this group is really loaded, Ryan, and it's going to yes. get better. And to your point, if, if Jaden Mickey or Clarence Lewis or Chance Tucker don't play well, they're, <laughs> this well, cat I'm over not- here is going to come and, and, and beach out. Right. I was about to say because I mean Christian Gray is an early enrollee. I think he's moving in tomorrow, right? I mean, you're one great offseason from a Christian Gray and Clarence Lewis just being a good football player to if you're Ryan Barnes or your Chance Tucker, it's like I might never play a meaningful snap at Notre right. Dame 
It might not happen. I might get passed up because of the job. Mike Mickens has done continuing to acquire talents. I mean, guys, I mean, Christian Gray, like LSU won a Christian Gray. Ohio State oh, won a Christian Gray. They both pushed you hard. Let me tell you something, too, right? You and I know this behind the scenes, that LSU yeah. and Ohio State did not stop trying to flip Christian Gray the entire time. George, Georgia high. was in Micah Bell's ear until signing yeah. day. Like, I yep. mean, yes, some big time programs wanted these kids. Right. It could arguably be a better haul than what you saw in 2022, yeah. which is saying a lot for the impact right. you got early on. I would say the upside's higher in that class. Mm-hmm. I'll say this about Micah Bell, though. Yeah. We saw during the week of the Army practices the, the, the elite talent that he has, but also why he's going to need time. Yes. Because he's still very raw as a corner, technically. And he plays safety for the position. Year, yeah. Yeah. He yeah. needs a lot of work technically. But when he can just run with you, he's really good. And he plays the yeah. ball a lot better than I thought he was going to play the yes. ball, too, Ryan. Agree. But he just needs a lot of technical work where Benjamin Morrison kind of showed up with a good foundation of, of technical skill to work on. Like his dad, who played in college football, played safety, but played in college football, I think had a cup of coffee in the NFL as too, I believe. They must have worked a lot together, or he got someone to work with Benjamin because his his technique improved a ton from his junior year of co- high school to his freshman year of college. Improved a ton, and that's partly why he was an impact player sooner than expected. I thought he was going to have a tough transition technically because he wasn't a super fundamentally sound player in high school; he just was really talented. But that that improvement is going to be is going to be helpful, in my opinion. The point uh-huh. is. The present and future of this position is in good hands. <laughs> Very good. And, and Jack Swarbrick and the leadership at Notre Dame needs to do whatever they can to make Mike Mickens as financially comfortable as they need to to keep him here as long as possible. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's just a fact. It's, it's going to be so, a lot of SEC schools. Coming oh, down man. <laughs> and, and his loyalty to Marcus Freeman can only go so far because you know who he's most loyal to? His wife and daughter. Exactly. That's, that's who a position coach always needs to be most loyal to. And if Notre Dame's, let's say Notre Dame's paying a guy a million and another school's only paying two and a half million, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty big deal, you yep. know? So I'm not saying that that's happening. I don't know if those offers are out there right now. I'm just telling you right now, it, it, teams around the country are taking notice. Because here's what teams do, that, that, especially teams in the SEC. This guy's kicking our butt on the recruiting trail. Let's go hire him. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he doesn't have to do that anymore. And so that's going to be a big part of it. So cornerbacks in a great position. Yes. We'll talk about safety, Ryan, because this is a really interesting one. And somebody even in the chat had said, why does Chris O'Leary get a pass? And everybody's hard on Al Washington. Number one, I don't know what you're talking about there because we have had plenty to say about Chris O'Leary on the recruiting trail. I hammered Chris O'Leary last year for not landing a single safety commit in that class wasn't all his fault, but it, a lot of it was, right? Like uh, the uh, Xavier Nwankpa thing, I, I somewhat put on him because you've got to recognize that this kid got upset about something way before you did, yeah. and he didn't. You know, came out this year, got Peyton Bowen and all those guys, and Peyton Bowen screwed him over. Again, you've got to kind of maybe recognize that a little bit quicker. And people say, well, they did. They got Brandon Hillman. But again, Chris O'Leary's not the guy that found Brandon Hillman. Chad Bowden is. Chris O'Leary's not the guy that recruited Brandon Hillman. Chad Bowden did. Brandon Hillman was not a safety recruit until they lost Peyton Bowen. Now, I can tell you with confidence that Chad Bowden always knew that if Peyton leaves, this is where we're going to put him. 
That's exactly why they recruited him, because if we keep Peyton Bowen, he's a rover, he's a receiver, he's whatever. If we lose Peyton Bowen, nice, easy transition right there to safety. But even then, it's a very low-floor, high-ceiling group. And to me, you can't have the back to – if they'd have got Xavier Nwankpa last year, I'm singing Chris O'Leary's praises when you compare – when you put him with this three-man group. Sure. But you didn't. You missed on him. You missed on all the safeties last year. And this year did some good things. But 2024 is a very important cycle for Chris O'Leary. Yes. Very important cycle. He's got to have another class like this one at the minimum for next year. I'm a believer that safety is a position where you don't necessarily need elite players if the rest of your defense is as good as it needs to be. Don't don't get that twisted that I don't want elite players. I want a Kyle Hamilton talent. I want a Harrison Smith talent. I want that on a Lewis scene from Georgia. I want that kind of talent on my roster. What I'm saying is you don't need it to be a championship football team. And and I don't think Georgia's safety this year were elite players. They were good. They were young. One of their starting, one of the guys that played a ton for them was a true freshman, Malachi Starks, Mm -hmm. and he had true freshman issues, right? Right. I mean, inconsistencies, mistakes. And, And so to me, if you're just good, if you give me a Don Schuler's and Ben Minich's and Brandon Hillman's on a consistent basis and then occasionally get me a, a, a Harrison Smith or a Kyle Hamilton, I'm good. Because I'm sure. going to tell you something right now. The best safety group that Notre Dame had did not have a Kyle Hamilton or a Harrison Smith talent on it. It didn't. And that's the 2018 group. Kyle Hamilton didn't show up till the next year. And that was without question the best safety group that Notre Dame had was in 2018. And Jalen Elliott and Lloyd Gilman, a three-star to two-star. And so I just feel like if you're smart and a good athlete, you can be a really good college safety. You don't have to be a Kyle Hamilton talent. So I don't feel that way about the D-line. You need big-time talent to be my, – my debate has only ever been that it's not only five-star recruits that become that kind of player is my argument. Mm-hmm. right i've never said you don't need big time players i just feel big time players sometimes are nolan smiths that are the number one number two number three player in the country and sometimes those elite players are isaiah foskies who no one had in the top 200 sure that's my point but you need big time players i don't think you necessarily need that at safety if the rest of your defense is good give me a smart heady always in the right place bunch of safeties and I'm going to have a pretty freaking good defense if I'm good every in those positions where I need the top-level talent. And so that's partly why I'm not as hard on Chris O'Leary as I am on Al Washington. But trust me, Chris O'Leary is in our crosshairs. It's just, okay, let me see what you're going to do here in 2024. Here's the other reason that he's not in the same boat. I think he's done a really good job coaching. That's the, I mean, I, I think the safety tandem, the, the group the last two years has been really well coached, Ryan, really mm-hmm. well coached to the point where Houston Griffith and DJ Brown guys and aren't elite talent were quality football players this year. You know, you had two converted, a converted corner and a converted safety who literally converted in the middle of his first season at Notre Dame, Chris O'Leary to now they're the future of your position at safety. It's funny, right? Yeah. yeah. I, the coaching part hasn't been an issue for me with Chris O'Leary. 
It's the recruiting part that needs to get better. That's the difference between him and Al Washington. Is because Al Washington didn't do a great job with the coaching part this year either. I think Chris O'Leary, like if you gave Chris O'Leary the talent at his position that Al Washington had to work with at his position, you know what I mean? Like, hmm, mm-hmm. there's something, there's something there, man. There's definitely something there, in my opinion. Thoughts, Ryan? No, I, I agree. I, I think that there's, I mean. That's been, I mean, just looking at the safety room, man, like if we're talking about the, and this is all due respect to the DJ Browns and Houston Griffiths of the world, but you're not talking about elite talents, right? You're not talking about elite football players. You have to be well coached and you have to be disciplined and you have to do all kind of the finer parts of play in the position. But I mean, for me, man, like I, again, I'm always going to be a little bit optimistic because I saw the flashes of Xavier Watts this year, right? Where I'm like, okay, that guy, if he takes a step forward, he can be a dude, right? If Don Schuler it comes in, he's ready to play. He can maybe give you something as a fre- as, as a freshman. Uh, Ramon Henderson is a guy that I think, in used correctly, could be an asset to you on the back end of a defense. I think that there's the move. I think they all have good parts to them. I think that the inconsistency is that you don't have the one guy that can do everything, right? Like I don't think you have that guy, but I think you can mix and match, and it could be a really good unit. It's just about right. you. You don't have a you don't have a Peyton Bowen, right? That right. you could put into every role and right. to be that guy potentially. You have and you're talking about Peyton Bowen from a versatility standpoint, not exactly. necessarily five star player standpoint. 100. percent Yeah, and Hillman's the same way, Ryan. He's not a guy that I see with a future playing over the top of a defense. He's an alley no. guy. Exactly. Yeah. You know, Don Schuler is that way too. I don't see a Don. Although you did say you thought he played the center field a little bit better than you thought he was going to do at the All Star game, but I don't know He'll if that's his strength. Right. Right. Yep. Like he's a tackler. Yes. So you may. So even if he can play center field, are you really utilizing the best of his ability there? Ben Minich is the one who who showed me as a senior that he could be that guy more yeah, than I thought he could be. Top. Yeah. Because you and yeah. I didn't think he could do that as a, as a junior, no. but as a senior, he definitely showed me that kind of that kind of movement skill. So it's a good group. It's just mm-hmm. they need to start stacking some of those classes on top of each other, in my oh, no opinion. Doubt. Because it also helps with special teams as well. You can't have the misses that they had last year and then come back with this class. If you're going to miss like last year, then you need a Peyton Bowen. Yes. That's that's my thing. And they didn't get it done. So, but the coaching is good, you know. And and I I selfishly want to see Chris O'Leary be able to work with an elite talent, right? Like I mean, I want to see him work with an Xavier Nwankpa. Excuse me. I want to see him work with a Peyton Bowen. I want to see those guys. But I do think there's maturation from him that needs to take place as a recruiter. I don't think we know how good he can be. I don't think we have a under definite understanding of can he is he a liability in this regard? Can he be a, a huge asset? Like I think right now there's too much mixed, you know, as far as the, the couple big misses over the last couple of years. So I think there's obviously answers that need to be that need to be executed here over the next couple of years. But I think that from the short term. I do anticipate Chris O'Leary getting the most out of Xavier Watts. I do. I think that he will do that. I think that he'll get the most out of DJ Brown for another year. I think he'll get the most out of Ramon Henderson. To your point, I don't think coaching is the issue. It's just acquisition of talent is the issue for me. Right. Enough talent, I should say. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I think I think that's a very fair way of putting it. The talent isn't where it needs to be. The coaching is. Yes. And it's going to be up to him to, to do a good job of that. Now, here's kind of where we also need to talk about Thomas Harper because yeah. I'm where does he fit into this whole puzzle? Because I think he's going to be part corn, nickel corner, part safety. 
getting him was a big thing. But here's the deal. Eventually, you're going to start recruiting that kid out of high school. And I don't think that there's that guy in this class. Because yeah. I believe that ideally, Notre Dame would like to have a, a, a five-man secondary alignment where the slot is not a pure corner like a Tariq Bracy. They'd like to have more of a bigger corner, either a Christian Gray or a safety-ish type of guy that can cover, like a Peyton Bowen kind of. I mean, and again, I'm not talking about the five-star, but I'm talking about the athleticism he brought where he could play center field, play Play alley, but but more so come up and play in the slot. You know, he could have played that position very early on. And so for me – that is that is something that I that I see, and, and the reason I think it's best to talk about him here is because I do think he's going to be coached as a safety. Because mm-hmm. even and and here's the thing that you talk about where the defense goes in 2023. I think this was important to get Thomas Harper because I, I was not thrilled about it at first, partly because I didn't know a lot about it. how can you be thrilled about a guy you don't know a lot about. Sure. sure. So when I say not thrilled, not that I was upset, but I just it didn't fire me up because I, I didn't know a lot about the kid. And, and then you see his production. You're like, well, it's not great production, you know. And, and then you watch the film, Ryan. You're like, this guy is like the perfect nickel in, in the defense, especially one like Al Golden's because on any given snap, you can use him at slot, alley safety, boundary safety, middle of the field. He's done all of it in, in, in the same game at Oklahoma State where Tariq Bracey was a nickel corner. That's, That's it. it. Yeah. Yep. Nickel corner. And now you've got a chance to kind of really be multiple. You know, you, yes. you can do things where if teams want to, you know, go in motion, you can just roll your safety down and then he's there. And, you know, he's back in the middle of the field. He's playing well. There's just a lot of different things you can do with him that that I think you put him and Xavier Watts kind of on opposite sides. And I feel like that gives you a lot of quickness and athleticism to play your alleys or your slots because – you know, you just roll Xavier down, and I think Xavier can yeah. play that job, play that, well, play that role. It's almost like you remember when Gary Patterson first kind of implemented the four-two-five. They used to run umbrella coverages, right, where they used to have the th- almost like a three-high look, but they would always rotate down, so it would still be too high. But that those two outside safeties would always be interchangeable because you need them to be able to rotate down or rotate to two high situations. To your point, right? And so, they would go cloud at times too. Yep. You know, so it, it, depending on where how you line up, they didn't want to have to go field boundary. They wanted to try to keep it to a side because teams were going tempo. Yep. And you needed to be able to play off the hash and play center field. Exactly. Right? We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll kind of see how this plays out. Right? We're going to see how this plays out. But he was a, he was a very important addition to this depth chart because I don't know if there's anybody else on the roster that can, can do what he does and what he's Not- done now for three years in the Big 12. Not early. I played a lot of football, Ryan. This guy's played over a thousand snaps of football in the Big Twelve. Yep, he's used to the ball being thrown at him. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I'll tell if you want to if you want to see the impact he had on this Oklahoma State defense this year, go watch the TCU game right after he got hurt, (laughs) and look what TCU did the rest of the game. So you're going to tell me that that that's Maraxi right late in third quarter when he got hurt is Maraxi when TCU figured it out on defense. I mean, figured out the Oklahoma State defense or there's the only really cover guy they had last year, in my opinion, gone. Yeah. And now they had no answers because you look at what they did in the fourth quarter in overtime after Thomas Harper got hurt. And then what they did late boy, is a, that was a different defense. That was a completely different defense. And, and I'm going to get a little bit somewhat hyperbolic here, Ryan, mm-hmm. but you know, here, here's another thing to consider is after that TCU game, 
he didn't play for a while. He played partly in the in the Kansas State, a little, little tiny bit in the Kansas State game, and then missed the entire year. When Thomas Harper played, before they were five and one before he got hurt. After he got hurt, they went two and five, and the defense fell apart. Oh. I'm not saying he's the only reason, but what I'm saying is they lost a really important part of that, and the attempt to kind of move pieces around to fix that hurt the defense as a whole. Now That's that right. guy's going to be in the Notre Dame defense, and and giving Al Golden, who wants to be multiple, needs to be multiple, as many weapons as possible that you don't have to sub for. Because that's the one thing that makes college football a little bit different than the NFL is it can be harder sometimes to sub package in college football sure. if the other team doesn't sub. If the other team's subbing nonstop, then it's easy to sub package. But there's times where you can kind of get caught in, a, in, a, in some looks you don't like personnel-wise because of how teams go at you. You know, especially like if like Georgia, for example, they go 12 personnel and then you're like, hey, let's put our big boys in the field. The next thing you know, they're spreading, they're going empty and you're in your big personnel. Yeah, that's the nature of, of what teams can do. Right. Mm-hmm. And and so Notre Dame could do that to people if they wanted to. They just, they just don't. And so I, those are things that I kind of want to see from from him to be able to counter that, but you need, you need the versatile pieces. That's what I think Jordan Patel and Josh Burnham can bring to the Viper position that Isaiah Foskey did. There are things that Foskey brought that they don't. I'm not, I'm not saying like, Oh, Viper's going to be better now. I'm saying it's going to be different, right? It's going to be more multiple. It's going to be more diverse where you don't have to sub out. That's what Thomas Harper does. Like to me, if I'm Notre Dame, I want to see them with the personnel they have now be a four, two, five, three, three, five hybrid team out of four, two personnel. Yes. That's what I want to see. I want to see a Mike and a Will and a Viper. And I want to see a true nickel. Now, I would move Jack Kaiser inside and let him compete there. I would still keep him a rover because there's going to be times you need the three linebacker personnel. There's going to be times when it's necessary. Sure. But with all due respect to Jack, I just don't know if that linebacker rover spot is going to be manned by a guy like him as much in 2023, in my opinion. If it's going to be manned by somebody, it has to be a Nolan Ziegler. It has to be a Jalen Snead type. Somebody that's longer, twitchier, faster, that brings more versatility. Because Jack Jack is a very was an underrated player this year when he was used correctly. He had the biggest good to bad ratio of all the linebackers, in my opinion. Because Samaras was just bad. Like We didn't see a whole lot of good for Marist, right? JD was kind of okay to good. JD was rarely bad. Sure. There were times when Jack was like, dude, this guy's a playmaker. And then times you're like, this guy can't cover anybody. And it was about how he was used. He may have a, a rover body, but he has an inside linebacker game, in my opinion. Okay. Jack Kaiser's been at his best when he's attacking the, the football. And so I think you almost kind of have to put him inside. And, and the only way that you can be a three-linebacker team, in my view, and have a great defense is if you're going to play the younger guys more that that to me ryan is 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 the key and so as we kind of transition a linebacker that's personnel wise jd's a good mike i'm good with that i know he's a bit of a whipping boy for fans jd's a good football player the other linebacker positions to me are, are major question marks and i don't know if prince collie's the answer just because he's got a lot to learn about the position but he's also had some trouble staying on the field this mm-hmm. past year with some different things are 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 they gonna are they gonna do enough to get the young guys ready? Are they gonna give Nolan Ziegler a chance this spring to battle? Are they gonna give Jalen Seed a chance to spring in this spring to battle? 
are they just going to roll out the veterans again? That That's going to be a big question mark for me. Because at this point in time, Maris Lufau just kind of is what he is. And he needs to prove to me that he's not that. He's not getting the benefit of the doubt from me that I'm giving a younger player. But I don't know if that's how Al Golden is going to feel about it. And that, to me, is the biggest question mark on this entire football team right now, Ryan, is linebacker play. Who's going to play? How are they going to use it? And will the position coach slash defensive coordinator realize that, dude, your group is the biggest problem we have, and it's because you're putting too much on their plate? It's as simple as that. It, it, do you think linebacker is the most frustrating position on the team right now in the sense that there's so much talent in that room, man, yeah. and it's just you're not getting much out of it. You're not. I mean, again, I agree with you. I think J.D. is a rock-solid Mike, good football player, no doubt. Jack was inconsistent this year. The highs were good. The lows were far too often. Mike, and I agree with you 100%. Maris Loifel was a massive disappointment for me. Massive, massive disappointment. But outside of those players, you already mentioned them. You already mentioned Jalen Sneed. You already mentioned Nolan Ziegler. Not to mention, hey, also, there's three 2023 guys coming now. Like Including in the two spring. top 100 players in Jaden yes. Osbury and, and, um, and uh, Drake, Drake Bowen. Bowen yeah. Who you, and, who you, I, I talked over that last part, Ryan. They're yes. showing up next week. Exactly. Not yep. in the fall, not in the summer. They're showing up next week. And and if you've talked to Jay Nosberry or Drake Bowen, you know that they're not coming to just sit, right? Like they're coming to compete. No. The question is, is whether if coaching will allow them to gen, like genuinely compete, right? Like that's the biggest question mark for me. But it's maddening the production you got from linebacker this year because you just signed one of the best linebacker groups that you have in how many years? Like, I mean, the four-man class that well, I know, I understand that one's playing. two starters. I, I want to yeah. add to that, Ryan, because you returned yeah. two starters. Yeah. Another guy who missed last year but played a ton the year before. Mm-hmm. So you had three linebackers that have played a decent amount of football and the incoming freshman. So it's not just you had this incoming freshman class and you're going to – if you go out there with a with a true bunch of true freshman linebackers, you're going to have some problems because they're going to give up – they're going to make mistakes just like Jalen did in the Gator Bowl. Yeah, yes. some players are like, yep, that's why he's got to play. And then there's other times you're like, dude, they're manipulating you. They know they can take advantage of you right now, and they're going after you with misdirections and things like that. And so that's kind of the thing for me is, is why – I'm just a little concerned, you know, with the direction of this group. Yeah. Honestly, because it's not about the talent. That's really not my issue. It's are you playing the right combination of the talent and putting those guys in positions to be successful? Or is your your defense like so – like here's the funny thing. I was told by a source that one of the things that they they did with – uh, that their that their justifications for not playing one of the freshmen is because they said he has to he has to get bigger. He he's not 230 pounds. They need to get him to 230 pounds. Okay. And so I'm looking at my I'm I'm asking myself and I'm like, hold on a second. Are any of the linebackers actually 230 pounds? <laughs> and you're like, okay, Marist barely is. Yeah. Like Jack Kaiser's 223. J, JD Bertrand's not 230 pounds. I'm sorry. He's not. And I'm like, what's this, uh, what's this obsession about weight thing? Or is that just an excuse to say, you know, not to play the younger guys? 
Yeah. That's my question. Mm-hmm. And so why do you, it's like, it's been the maddening thing with Kelly for a while. And, and, and Golden's got some of this to him for me, a little bit of this to me. Why are you holding to the young players to a higher standard than you hold the veterans? Like Mayor's played like you'd expect a freshman who's never played before to play. Yes. If that, if that was Jalen Sneed, you'd be like, okay, it's freshman year, right? Like, that's it. I mean, it's like Jaden Mickey this year, right? Jaden Mickey had his, had his lows, right? But you're like, that's a freshman. What do you expect, right? Like, that's baptism by fire. That's growth. But, I mean, you're right, Brian. And I'll say this. Now, going into 2023, if you have back-to-back linebacker halls of – and, I, I, again, I understand Joshua Burnham's playing Viper now. And I understand that Junior Toyelamak is kind of playing a little bit of both at this point. But if you go – two-year span of getting Joshua Burnham, Junior Tuilamaka, Nolan Ziegler, Jalen Sneed into Drake Bowen, Jay Nosbury, and Preston Zinter, and you can't figure out the linebacker room to make it at least a very good unit. Right. I'm not even talking about elite. I'm just talking about very good. Is, that should that's be a, a coaching good problem. Unit. That's a coaching exactly. problem, right? It is. Not a player yeah. problem. It's not a player problem. No, it's not. Because if you, if you watch any of their – if you watch all those guys film back-to-back-to-back, you're like, wow, man. And, and we they're know. throwing Prince Collie. Yeah, and Jenny Bertrand. Exactly. Right. We often forget Prince because he's in that, he's like that middle child, right? <laughs> he was middle only child linebacker syndrome in that class, is real. Right? You know yeah. what I mean? Exactly. Well, Keanu Kia, Kahano Kia was, yes. but he's on a he's on a mission and won't be back till 2024. Sure. So you you look at it and you're like, man, this is just there's no like you said, right? There you could maybe justify it last year because oh, a bunch of freshmen. Okay, cool. That's over. That's yes. over. You can't use the whole well, Prince Collie's only in year two of being a linebacker. He was more of a he was more of a receiver running back in high school. Cool. That's gone now. Mm-hmm. He's year two of you, year three playing linebacker. Nolan Ziegler's going into a second spring. Jalen Steed's going into a second spring. I, I don't want to hear those excuses anymore. Everybody in college football is playing young guys. Georgia yeah. played two really young inside linebackers. Both right? sophomores, I'm not saying, I think, right? Right. Yeah. Both true sophomores. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people talked about how Georgia's got like, you know, they, they weren't a very old team this year. In, in all they were spots. kind they of were young, young in a lot of yeah. spots. I mean, started two, they started two true freshmen at times this year uh, on defense and played three or four true freshmen at times this year. Uh, Bear Alexander, I think, was a true freshman. Malachi yes. Starks was a true freshman. They rotated true freshmen in, I believe, a corner. My, uh, Michael Williams, the, the yeah. freshman D lineman. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he's yeah. another one. They had, yes. a, I think, one of their linebackers was a true freshman that was in the rotation, I believe. Mm-hmm. And and they figured it out. Okay, so oh, they're five stars, and these guys are not. Jalen C was a five star, first of all. Yes. Nolan Ziegler was a four star kid. So okay, so he doesn't have to play as good as the Georgia kids. But there's a difference between being that and not playing a freaking snap. And I mean, even if you want to look at like Drake Bowen coming in, Brian, has there been a more decorated linebacker to come in college football over the last couple years, recruiting wise, than Drake Bowen? I mean, the kid's right. a Buckus Award winner, two time Gatorade Player of the Year, Mr. Football in the state of Indiana, and all, right. by the way, also the All American Bowl Defensive Player of the Year, right? Like, right. don't, don't miss me with the talent conversation. Just right. miss me with it. Who it's not a for 1,800 yards last year. And if I hear one more person say, but he was a two way guy, his school was two way. He didn't yes. play two schools in the regular season. He played like he played one up. all year. Yeah. So, you know, I just – some lame stuff said. But the fact of the matter is, Ryan, the town is there. Yes. It's time to coach it up. It's like the wide receiver group we talked about yesterday. There's going to be a lot of NFL scouts over the next couple of years walking through the linebacker room and being like, whoa. These cats can run. Who's that guy? These cats like, can run. Yeah. But you haven't move. seen it on the field. So but that's the thing is, Ryan, they're not a real big linebacking core. 
which then move. speaks to you need to you. This is why you need to be a speed team. Mm-hmm. You 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 don't recruit the guys that you recruited on the D line in 2023 class. You don't recruit the corners they're recruiting. You don't recruit the linebackers they're recruiting, and then say let's play big boy football. Yeah. That makes no sense to me. Your recruiting guys can flat out freaking run. Mm-hmm. Like Jaden Drake Bowen's a really good athlete. I would argue he's not their fastest linebacker. I would argue that. I bet you it's close. Sure, sure. I bet you it's close, and he can run. Yeah. I think Jaden Osbury's faster. I think Drake's Possible. more big and powerful and 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 more of a downhill box guy in the future. Jaden Osbury's to me the like if he was an inch taller or maybe a couple inches longer, he'd be like you built that wheel in a lab. That sure. that's that's kind of you know what I mean. And and um, those are the things that you're bringing in. And Preston Zinter in past years would be getting a lot more excitement from Notre Dame fans in the past. Because he's a good football player, but he is a good you, just player. the way that they've recruited linebacker the last two years is kind of like he gets kind of he kind of gets forgotten about. That kid's a football and, player, and if they do start running more three three five stuff, he is the perfect Sam yeah. linebacker in that defense, which man. is perfect. which is kind of the viper. Is yes. just so people right. understand what the yeah. Sam means. It's a kind of a viper. Yep. So it's going to be very interesting to see how how it plays, Ryan. Very interesting how it plays and how it's coached because. I think of all the positions on the team, that was the least fundamentally sound group on the entire team this Agreed. year. Which, when you consider who the head coach is with James Laronitis and Al Golden, it's a little bit problematic to me. It's a little bit problematic to me that it's that way. I mean, and I'm not trying to throw everything on Maris Loyfau because it's a it's a position problem, right? It's not just a Maris Loyfau problem. But, I mean, guys, if you want to go back and watch the Juju McDowell first run of the game where he had the 13-yard or whatever on that first drive, it's the most maddening thing I've ever seen in my life, man. It was it was Jordan Patelho setting the edge, did a good job setting the edge. You had Benjamin Morrison coming outside in as that contained player. Fantastic. Looks good. I don't know what Maris was thinking on this play, but he decided, hey, man, there's two guys in the C gap already. I'm going to join them. And then completely vacated mm-hmm. the B gap and let Juju McDowell just score three for a 13-yard game. That – that stuff is – that's coaching. It's got to be, right? I mean, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens with the maturation of the position. I hope it takes a massive step forward, but there were just too many of those brain farts year one. Either these guys are super confused or they're not being coached properly. And regardless, that's a coaching issue on both sides of it, right? right? That's a coaching issue. So right. we'll see if it improves. And hope, I hope it does because you have three really good linebacker guys on your staff coaching the linebackers. Just mm-hmm. needs to be a cohesive understanding right. of what's expected. I think, and and you had a first year coach who seemed to be more concerned with coordinating the defense than he was with necessarily coaching a position group, which is it's it's understandable. Mm-hmm. You had a guy that that knows the position but has played it at the NFL level for a decade and never really coached like this before. Sure. There's a learning curve, so I'm willing to give them a okay. Let's see what you do now. I'm willing to kind of say okay, that year's in the past. Let me see what you do now with those guys. Because there's too much knowledge in that group. Like, there's way too much knowledge of football and linebacker play on that staff for it not to get better. And that's kind of where my optimism comes from. Because I'm like, there's no way Marcus Freeman looks at the play of the linebackers this year and is like, yeah, I'm totally fine with that. There's no way that James Laronitis does that. There's no way, in my opinion, that Al Golden can look at that and be good with it. Now, now the question is, is fixing it doesn't equal, we'll just put the young guys in there. That That's a small step. 
because then they're going to have the same problems with the, as the veterans had, except they're going to be less experienced, which means they're going to have even more issues. Yes. There's a fundamental flaw that needs to be corrected first, which is you were putting too much on their plate. Let's simplify a little bit and make sure that first and foremost, that you teach these kids how to play great, fundamentally sound, fast, physical, wrap up football, right? They're all different things. Be fast, yes. be physical, wrap up correctly, be in space, know where you're supposed to be. Then when they've got that down, like honestly, my bait, my defense in the spring would be super base in a lot of different ways. Because I'm going to say we're going to be the most fundamentally sound team in college football next year. And then towards the end of spring, maybe in the summer and fall camp, then we can start adding to our packages. Because a lot of this you guys are going to know. But I'm teaching the basics. And there's so many coaches that go away from that now in college football. And it drives me nuts. They get yeah. so scheme-oriented that we just got to throw a million different things at them in the spring. Why? You don't play a game for eight, nine months. You should what you do scheme wise is so irrelevant in the spring from a defensive standpoint. It's a little bit more important on offense because scheme is kind of what you do. You've got to get the quarterbacks and the and the receivers kind of on a similar page and all that kind of stuff. But like offensive line, I don't care that you run 87,000 different running <laughs> plays in the spring. I'm teaching step stance, step, start, hand play, all communication. That's my focus in the spring. Same thing with same thing with defense. I don't care if you have three more than three coverages in the spring. Don't care. Don't care. Well, the offense is going to get the better of you. That's kind of a good thing. You know, make those kids learn how to play the game the right way. Make sure, hey, if you can go out and stop them when you've only got these three coverages because you've mastered what we can do, then imagine how good we're going to be when you've got those things mastered and I can add some wrinkles from week to week in football. If if Al Golden's willing to do that, to say, guys, this spring. Our focus is on these kids being the most fundamentally sound group of players. They need to be fundamentally sound, fast, and aggressive group of players in college football. If there's a if there's a group of players in college football that are more fundamentally sound and more aggressive and, and, and than our guys, then we are failing at our jobs. And then you'll have a whole freaking month of football in the fall to start putting the scheme in. Spend the first week or two just, hey, let's remind and – about all these different things, but then you got the whole rest of the spring to say, now let's add into the scheme because you're switching schemes week to week anyway. Sure. So at least get the foundation right. And then it'll be easier to implement those schemes because there's a foundation of fundamental football that you can build upon each week. That's the key. If they if they do that, Ryan, this defense is going to be nasty. Agreed. If they don't do that, then we're going to see a slightly better version of what we saw last year in my opinion, simply because they know the offense, the defense better. Agree. That's why. So any anything to add to that, Ryan, before we move on to the mailbag? No, I mean, I, I think that there, like, there's a year one to year two maturation that naturally occurs, to your point, right? There's a, there's a deeper understanding to the system. But I think more than anything, we talked about this at the beginning of this podcast, is at the end of the day, coaches are paid to understand what their players do best and then put them in the proper position to make plays. That's the end all be all right. And we didn't see enough of it in year one. In my opinion, you saw some of it though. It wasn't all bad, right? Like there was, it was a solid job it needs to be great though, in order for them to really take that massive step forward. And there are the tools there. There's the talent there. 
It's just, I, I think that everyone needs self-awareness, right? Everyone needs to evaluate themselves. You need to be able to take a step back and say, what did I do well? What can I not do? What, and you need to mesh those two things together. And I think that that's a, it's going to be a big offseason for this defense, for Al Golden, this defensive staff to really understand we weren't bad defensively last year, but we could be a lot better. How do we get there and make it a unified thing? Because I think that it seems disjointed at times, right, as far as what they were trying to do and what was happening on the field. It needs to be unified, and I feel like it wasn't in year yeah. one. Experience helps with that, and a system helps with that. Absolutely. But there's yeah. got to be – they can't just say it's going to, well, just year two of our system would be better. It can't be that. It cannot be process. just it's all the players. It can't be. Yes. It has to be. We've got to set a better foundation of good quality football. Stumps, and, starts with accountability. Starts yeah. with accountability. Yep. Here's another – my last key to this, Ryan. Mm-hmm. The sophomore class, that group emerging – well, here's my prediction. The emergence or lack of of the sophomore class will be what determines whether this defense can be really good or elite. And that's the Jalen Sneed, Benjamin that's Morrison. Up yeah. front, it's Josh Burnham. It's Tyson yep. Ford. It's Aiden Gobira, Donovan mm-hmm. Heinish, a linebacker. It's Jalen Sneed, Nolan Ziegler, Junior Tuialamaka as a, kind of a do-it-all. It's Benjamin Morrison, and it's Jaden Mickey. That group is going to have an. If that group gets a push from the staff and answers that and makes and, and forces them around the field, this thing is going to be good because because Jordan Patel is a good football player, usually, but he's very inconsistent. But he's also not a guy that I necessarily want playing sixty snaps a game because he's not a real big guy. He's going to wear down. The best thing for Jordan Patel is that he's got someone that can split reps with him, and Josh Burnham needs to be that guy. I want to see, and he stepping up then also helps them move Junior Chalamaka around to both sides, where I think he could fit in better. You talk about Tyson Ford kind of having a, a grow up period. You know, he he had a year to kind of develop and went through some ups and downs. Now it's time. Hey man, you're going into spring number two. It's time for you to take that step. Sure. And and linebacker, we've already talked about Jaden Mickey. We've talked about, but the key, however, is the coaching staff has to focus on that too. They've got to say, yeah, we're obviously going to coach the veterans, but man, our best talent is in this group in the freshman and sophomore class. And we've got to make sure that we're doing our part to get those guys fundamentally ready to play. That's another reason why it's so important to do the, the be focus more on fundamentals in the spring, Ryan, is because that's going to be so good for those young kids. Your best players from a talent standpoint standpoint are in the freshman and sophomore classes. So it's your job to get those guys ready to play. If they don't step up, that's on them. Sure. But if but but if you're just going to say we're going to just add on scheme, we're going to defense 2.0 next year, and we're going to do that in the spring, and we're going to be focused on the scheme again, and you don't focus on building a foundation, establishing a foundation of who you are, then they're going to fall behind, and then your defense is going to not be as good as it should be. That's bad coaching. It's very bad sure. coaching, and that's what I want to see be done because I think there's a lot of talent in those young classes, but young talent doesn't just emerge by itself. It needs to be encouraged, pushed, developed, nuanced, and all that kind of stuff. Right. You don't plant a seed and just, you know, you know, you don't, you don't like plant a flower in your house out and then just expect it to grow. There's no natural sunlight. There's, there's no way for it to get water. Right. You've got to put it in there and then you've got to 
make sure you're putting it in the sun enough. You're going to make sure you're watering it. Do all things you need to do. Take care of it, right? And, uh, and it grows into this beautiful thing. But if you just kind of leave it there and put it in the, in the closet, guess what? And focus on other things, guess what? It's not going to grow. Yeah. So look at you with the garden metaphor. Man. Net, hey, I I went, I'm from I pistols in one. I got garden. I'm a, I'm a versatile dude, man. You know, my I analogies are on point. You know what I mean? So I love this it. Is my, my parables class at seminary <laughs> is paying off. You know what I mean? So uh, learning how to use parables to make my point. So I, I'm excited about this group, Brian. I, it, it, it's got a potential, but I'm also, that's kind of why I'm, I'm also optimistic, but also concerned because I don't have a lot of faith that, the person in charge of the defense is going to see it the way that I see it. Sure. That's my concern. Yeah. And I, and I my concern is more from just not knowing him very well and, and, and knowing guys like him with the NFL background and stuff like that, where it's always about scheme. Those guys don't just have these one eighties very often. It's sure. going to have to come from the top. It's going to have to come from Marcus Freeman. Especially, especially older guys, right? I mean, he Al Golden's in what his late fifties, right? At this point, so I mean, right. he's a little bit of an older guy too. And sometimes it's hard for people to change at that right. type of age, right? So, and I mean, smart people like to do things that make them look smart. Let's be honest sure. about that. Sure. I mean that that's human nature. I I'm not even faulting him for that, but it's kind of like doing what I'm encouraging him to do does not show everyone how genius he is as a coach, and does not help him get a head coaching job or get back to the NFL as a coordinator. It just doesn't. And, you know, but that, that so that's the di- that's why they said ultimately the head coach has got to be the one that step up and say, hey, this is what we're going to do. Right. This yeah. is this is how we're going to be. Mm-hmm. And if he if he if he if the head coach does that, that's not a given. If the head coach does that and the D.C. responds well, this defense has a chance to be really good. Mm-hmm. It may not have an Isaiah Foskey in the front seven next year, but if they use it correctly. You know, like you, like we were debating yesterday about whether I, Riley Mills is a, a big end or a three technique. What we both agree on is he would be even better in a three-three look. No doubt, we both agreed on that. Howard Cross would be better in a three-three look. We both agreed on that. Jordan Delho and Josh Burnham are perfect vipers in that type of defense because you can easily go to a four-down, easily go to a four-down when you need to. Yep. And and but that requires them to say, hey, we've got a, we've got a we got to rethink how we're doing this schematically and rethink how we're doing this from fundamentally. Cause if we're going to ask kids to play a lot of different positions, we need to make sure that the footwork and the fundamentals and the eye, that just the vision and just their, their eye placement and the eye discipline and what they're keying on all that stuff, all that real basic stuff that gets lost when you're focusing so much on scheme has to take precedence. No doubt. Has to. And if they do that, Ryan, I'm telling you this defense next year is going to be nasty. If they don't, it's going to look a lot like it did this year. Good at times, and what the heck are you doing at other times? <laughs> that's a good way to and put it, yeah. That's where it's at. So we're going to go to Mailbag next, folks. But before we do, I'd ask that you hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast, please. We we ask you so kindly to hit that five-star uh, review and, and to share this podcast. We appreciate that very much. Sign up for the message boards, everybody, at boards.irishbreakdown.com. Got a junior day coming up, so Ryan's has a, a, a lot of updates on who's going to be on campus this weekend. We'll try our best to get as much intel from the weekend as we can. Going to be a lot of very, very intriguing players on, on the board. Ryan, there's a, a guy that I'm, I'm Ryan doesn't know it yet, but Ryan's going to break down uh, a little bit, just a mini film breakdown on the board of a kid that they offered today or yesterday named DeMello Jones. Yes, <laughs> And I saw this kid and I was like, never heard of this kid, went to his page. He doesn't have a, a ranking from, and no one's even ranked this kid yet. And I'm like, 
okay, well, we'll see. And Ryan's like, dude, you've got to watch this DeMello Jones kid. I'm like, all right, cool. Checked it out. And my response was what, Ryan? I gave you one word. Wow. That's wow. it. <laughs> That's it. And then I found out today, Ryan, that he's Deke Cooper's nephew, former yes. Notre Dame safety Deke Cooper, who was one of my favorite players of the 90s. So yep. uh, th- so that's obviously big. So he, he's a guy that got offered recently. Ryan's going to have a little quick mini film breakdown of him today or tomorrow. Uh, you know, since I'm springing this on you kind of late, may, <laughs> may let you get it up tomorrow. Uh, but we're going to start doing some more of that stuff on there too, and that's the affiliate place or, where you want to be. Uh, when we uh, – when, when, when it's great to be on the board. So um, mailbag's coming up next, folks. But, again, also – CFB Nation. We just launched our CFB Nation Twitter page as well. And if you can find that, I'm, I'm pulling up the name here. It is at CF, CFB, so college football, CFB Nation 2 is our new is our Twitter page for that, where we'll put some of our college football takes. We'll put our CFB Nation uh, uh, podcasts and our videos and all that kind of stuff. But make sure you're subscribed to the CFB Nation podcast platform and also the CFB Nation uh, YouTube channel and make sure that you're checking that out. We're getting closer and closer to those 4,000 watch hours. So the help from y'all doing that would be much appreciated. I'm going to get a, a video up here in a little bit of Bill Trochi and Bill Bender of Sporting News uh, talking about their way too early top 25, which Bill put out at Sporting News. They're going to talk about that. I'll have that video up here in a little bit as well. 